following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, equipped to counsel. Father, thank you for uh, this time that gets carved out every year for us to gather together and to think about these things and things that matter, things that people are struggling with. And we pray for your help this afternoon. We pray for the help of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. We pray that that you would equip us to help others. And Lord, maybe we're the ones that need to be helped. And we pray that you do that too. And so we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was um, uh, speaking at a family conference a few months ago uh, over in the gold country up in California, northern California. And I basically was doing stuff that I'd done for IBCD before and um, written about it in After They're Yours, The Grace and Grit of Adoption. And I'm standing there, and, and you know, maybe, maybe 25, 30 people sitting there, and I'm talking openly and transparently about um, our struggles, my wife's and my struggles with being adoptive parents, our failures, and our hopes. And as I did that, there were about four or five uh, women who wept through the whole session. And as they did, their husbands, four four of the five had husbands with them. The husbands were trying to comfort their their wives. And so when I was done, um, almost immediately they, they came up. I was approached by some of them, not all of them. And they were just asking me the familiar common questions that you always you always get and one thing that they all had in common although their questions weren't obviously the same the one thing they had in common is that they all had broken hearts <laughs> and of course my heart was um, broken as I saw their pain and tears of wives and mothers husbands and fathers and their pain often was just simply related to wanting to have a better relationship with their adopted child than what they have. Um, having struggles that they'd love to talk to somebody about, but people don't typically understand. And I have a real heart. I mean, if there, if there was just one of you here, I would, I would do this because... I have a real heart to uh, reach out and, and just try to help to the best of my ability with God's grace people that are struggling. And the evangelical uh, orphan care and adoption movement has kind of moved past its first decade now. I mean, you, you realize Christians have been adopting for, for centuries, but what we identify as the evangelical orphan care and adoption movement is now just a little bit more than 10 years old. And so last October, I was um, at a a Together for Adoption conference in Greenville, South Carolina. And the the topics that were being brought up at at this conference were the reality of a new phase of challenges. So if you, if you kind of think about so 10 years worth of really emphasizing uh, evangelicals getting out and adopting and now 10 years into it sort of the romanticism of going and adopting whether international or domestic adoptions the, the romantic uh, honeymoon phase has, has kind of worn off and the focus was on all of these different challenges, and of course the challenges right now are huge. So, uh, for instance, in the international orphan care uh, movement, um, there are huge ethical challenges that are going on because all of a sudden then certain agencies started to realize that there were thousands of Christians that want to adopt internationally, and now there are all kinds of ethical problems about are we giving the proper information about the children. Uh, You could well imagine being a well-meaning Christian couple wanting to adopt 
and this is what you're told about the child, you go through all of the, the expense and the time and the prayers and the agony, only to find out that what was presented to you was simply not true. Um, but there are other challenges that are being recognized as well, and it's some of those personal challenges uh, that, that really kind of strike me. And um, the personal challenges are frankly the challenges that not a lot of people <laughs> want to talk about. The personal challenges, the, the kind of pain and <clears throat> suffering that people endure, not the things that people want to hear. The personal challenges actually are seen by, by some as a threat to the adoption movement itself. So if we start talking openly and transparently about our struggles and some of the pain and, and the challenges, then what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to dissuade people from doing a very godlike thing and adopting. And so um, even, uh, ironically, and I don't know how much of a connection there is, um, there are certain uh, outlets that won't uh, carry my book on adoption. They'll carry other books on adoption, but they won't carry mine. And um, you have to wonder if there's not a fear of, of the idea of, if we talk honestly about these things, what's going to happen to the well-meaning couple that finds out, boy, you know what, you get into this and it's going to be way harder than you think. But I, I actually think that instead of dissuading people, we're actually helping people. People are going to be better equipped when we actually talk about the challenges. Um, we're going to be better equipped to deal with the challenges. And the, the more we talk about them and try to encourage people, especially the downtrodden, the discouraged, the heartbroken, the better off both adoptive parents and children will be. And so what I want to do in our time, and we certainly won't take the, the full hour, so there'll be time for discussion. But what I want to do in this workshop is I want to focus on how we, um, as n not, just, not just biblical counselors, but we as um, church members that are in local churches, how we can help equip our churches, first of all, to better minister to adoptive parents and their families. And um, some of these principles, of course, are going to be just common sense. Um, some of these things might even seem a little counterintuitive to us and to some of our parenting techniques, but these are things that I think are crucial. Uh, the first thing I would say is that adoptive parents and families do, in fact, need support, encouragement, and oftentimes they will need counsel. Um, if you just take your Bibles and turn to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another, build up one another, just as you also are doing. And um, then if you look down at verse 14, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. The fact is, is that we will have uh, adoptive families in our churches and on the uh, outward appearance, it may seem that everybody is doing fine. <laughs> uh, but you have to understand that they will need regular encouragement, intentional encouragement as adoptive families. Um, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were in eastern Tennessee and had the opportunity to preach at a little Presbyterian church in eastern Tennessee. And as I'm, as service is getting ready to start, there are all these visitors coming in. And the pastor looks to one of his deacons. He says, where are all these people coming from? Well, there was a, a couple of churches not that far away. And they started circulating uh, the book after they're yours. And they started talking among themselves about... Finally, there's somebody that's actually talking about these things, and it, 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 in a sense, just gave them this tremendous sense of encouragement and hope that, this, that we're not suffering alone. 
And so I can tell you from experience with our own um, with our own son, he would uh, he would frequently have absolute sterling conduct when he was around other people. And people would think, oh, the, the, the Borgmans are just awesome. They adopted this little boy, and he is so sweet. And yet then you get home, and he is a terrorist, all right? And nobody could even dream of what was happening at home because they see what he's like in front of other people. And so my encouragement is, listen, they're going to need encouragement, and sometimes they're going to need counsel, and we need to be intentional in providing the kind of environment where they are free to actually say, you know what, not everything is okay. Not everything is easy. Not everything is going well. They need to be in an environment that if they need counseling or more directed help, they know that they actually can get it. So our churches need to be places where our families um, um, don't look down on other families that don't have it all together. You know, there sometimes is this, um, there is this unfortunate uh, elitism that takes place in our churches, especially churches where, um, where there's a lot of teaching on biblical domestic order, on parenting, on raising kids, and how kids are supposed to behave. And, 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 and I'm not against any of that as, you know, as long as it's rooted in the gospel. Um, but, but sometimes they can, and I've seen it in our own church, where there will be people that look down on other families because their kids don't sit still during service, right? Or their kids, uh, or their kids aren't homeschooled, or their kids, are, you, you know what I'm saying? And if, if we have that kind of environment, how comfortable do you think a family is going to feel that has uh, adopted one or more kids really struggling at home? How comfortable do you think they're going to be to actually go and ask for help from the very people that are supposed to be there to help them? And so we need to make sure that, that our adoptive families feel safe to seek out help and to be honest and transparent. We need to look upon them uh, as uh, oftentimes the weak, the brokenhearted. Uh, you have to understand, sometimes um, adoptive parents can be ashamed of how they feel. Um, ashamed of things that they've said. And they need to know that there's help and there's grace and that the church is a safe place for me to find it. Um, I mean, how many times are we admonished in Scripture? So the writer to the Hebrews says in in Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, uh, See to it, brethren, that no one... um, is uh, see to it, brethren, that uh, none of you are overcome by an evil heart of unbelief, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so the, the, the community of faith is an encouraging community. It's where we're supposed to actually be helping each other and coming alongside of each other and looking out f- for those who are weak and looking out for those who are discouraged and looking out for those who are faint-hearted, doing everything we can to help them. Uh, number two, uh, do not minimize the difficulties of adoption, even if you do not understand them. In other words, just try to be an understanding person, right? I mean, I have a list of proverbs there. You can look at all of those proverbs, and of course, all of them extol the wisdom of having insight and understanding. And so, what is a wise man? He's actually one that can draw out the thoughts of somebody's heart. So we want to be understanding. One of the things that does not help our families is... Um, when they hear something, uh, something like this, um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> kids are kids, sin is sin. Just get over it. Right? Um, I'm sure that you've, you're all familiar with um, really an excellent book on adoption, Russell Moore, Adopted for Life, terrific 
book, but you get to the end of that book, and when Russell Moore writes the book, he's got his, his two little boys are, are, are little at that point, and he basically makes a comment about, you know, you, you, can, you can hear about syndromes, but it's not syndromes, it's just sin. And, and in other words, what he does is he just sort of minimizes um, real issues. And I have read those words to uh, adoptive families before, and they feel incredibly discouraged because you feel like the person doesn't understand. Um, I actually much prefer the words of Paul Tripp in his little booklet on adoption. He says, for all of its beauty, adoption also has significant challenges. So as I hear that, I'm thinking, that's a person that understands, right? And of course, Tripp does understand because he has an adopted daughter. And he says, although you're doing a wonderful thing, you must recognize that children were meant to live with their natural parents. When children are raised by those who aren't their natural parents, there will be struggles and difficulties. And then he says this, parenting an adopted child is often harder than parenting your natural child. Your adopted child deals with significant personal issues that your natural child has never had to deal with. So I hear that, and I think that's a person that understands. So somebody comes to you, and they and they and they're and 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 let's say they're they're a little psychologized. And they're throwing out the terms, and they're throwing out, uh, uh, you know, my kid's been diagnosed with RAD, uh, reactive attachment disorder, or ADHD, or uh, or fetal alcohol syndrome, any number of things. And as you sit there, what you have to understand is what they're describing for you are authentic challenges that have a very, very high likelihood uh, of not being the challenges that you have with your own natural children. So you don't minimize those things. Sherry Eldridge, in a book that I really wish I would have read when we first adopted, 20 Things Every Adopted Child Wish Their Parents Knew, okay? she says, maintaining that the adoptive family is just like any other family is like saying a tree formed through grafting is the same as any other tree. It simply is not. Families formed through adoption have their own set of challenges as well as their own unique beauty. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that that we, on the one hand, we're not minimizing the peculiar challenges, and we're trying to be as understanding as possible, right? Um, you guys read Rosaria Butterfield's um, um, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert? You know, she was the university literature professor who was lesbian, came to Christ. Oh, you got to read the, that book. It's absolutely Phenomenal, all right? Uh, unlikely thoughts. No, secret thoughts of an unlikely convert, Rosaria Butterfield. And um, now her book is about her story, but her she ended up marrying a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> That'll tell you what a great story it is. Here she was uh, actually in charge of um, the uh, like gay student union and uh, outspoken lesbian literature professor. Some of the most important words on adoption I've ever read actually come from her book. So her and her pastor husband adopt a bunch of kids, and she writes, No child asks to be adopted. No child asks for incompetent or rejecting birth parents. No child wants to be told how lucky he is to be adopted. Adoption always starts with a loss. Adoption always combines ambiguous loss with unrequested gain. Just read it again. Adoption always combines ambiguous loss with unrequested gain. An adopted child faces this paradox, this ambiguous grief at each developmental stage. His or her family must choose to either welcome the complexity or make the child go it alone. We choose to walk alongside our children, even as we don't always understand how deep or how raw the complexity exists or rests. The journey is frightful. At its core is this. Do I love Jesus enough to face my children's potential rejection of me? And so um, uh, our son, when he was um, in utero, his uh, birth mother drank. 
And if you know anything about fetal alcohol syndrome, you know that the alcohol goes right through that baby and um, actually impedes the development of the frontal lobes of the brain. Um, I mean, you can, you can actually empirically see the damage from fetal alcohol syndrome. And one of the things that oftentimes um, uh, FAS kids struggle with is the ability to sequence things. Okay? So I would tell... Uh, Ashley and Zach, our natural kids, and Alex, our adopted son. Okay, you guys, it's time to uh, get ready for bed. You need to go clean up your room, put your pajamas on, brush your teeth, and come out for family devotions. And so Ashley and Zach would go clean up their rooms, brush their teeth, put their pajamas on, and be sitting there with their little Bible story books or whatever we were doing, and Alex is nowhere to be seen. And so I would go, and this didn't happen just once or twice, believe me, I would go in and he'd be standing on his little stool in the bathroom with his toothbrush, and he would be like flicking the bristles that are filled with water at the mirror, just watching as the, as the water just spatters on the mirror. And I would go in and I would, I would get angry with him. I would say, why are you disobeying me? I told you what you needed to do. And there were times where he would be spanked for disobedience. Now, can you imagine the, um, the horror my wife and I experienced when we um, went to an FAS seminar because the state of Nevada has a peculiarly high number of Native Americans. Um, there are, uh, this is true of Nevada and Colorado, there are uh, FAS studies at the University of Reno and then University of Colorado. Um, it's not a real popular area study, but we had one of the gals from UNR come and give a lecture, and she starts talking about the physiological impact of FAS, and she says, one of the things that happens is the kids cannot actually sequence things. So you can tell a person do A, B, and C or one, two, and three, and they can do that. Uh, the, the, the the FAS kid can't sequence those things, and so there there is there is confusion, and so usually they'll get locked onto one thing and then get sidetracked. And I thought, oh. Like, go clean up your room, put on your pajamas, brush your teeth, and come out for family worship. And so you start to realize these things are not made up. These things are real, and they are real challenges. And when you have things like reactive attachment disorder or fetal alcohol syndrome, and people are struggling with the symptoms and the side effects of those things, if we just simply kind of dismiss those as, well, it's not syndromes, it's sin, um, th then, then actually we're not going to be able to minister to the families like we should be able to. If somebody would have said to me, uh, you know, FAS, give me a break. Don't you go to those biblical counseling conferences? Get rid of those stupid labels. He's just being disobedient. We're not helping anybody. M most people, most parents, by the way, don't typically have to deal with a, a child who is agonizing internally over the fact that they were given away. Most parents don't have to deal with a natural child who is deeply struggling with what it means to actually be rejected. Most, most natural parents don't have to deal with a child that does not want to be held or hugged or loved because they know what it is to actually have uh, to go hungry, to be neglected, to be abused, and so forth. And um, when parents are agonizing over these things. We have to be careful that we don't dismiss them. We may not completely understand 
what they're going through. But understand that the issues that they're describing are, are in fact, real issues. And uh, if I can be anecdotal for one, one other example, um, Alex, who's almost um, 20 years old now, I should have brought, I should have brought a picture so you could see Alex. Um, when I look at Alex, I have to look up, and Alex weighs, he says 240. We don't believe him. Um, and he is just all muscle. So I stopped wrestling with him when he was about four. Uh, <laughs> but um, Alex and my wife, Ariel, his mom, have always just butted heads far, far more than Alex and I ever did. Alex had, growing up, had some level of respect for me that he did not have towards Ariel. And this went on, and there, was, there were disrespect issues, which, which were, in fact, sinful. All right? I'm not dismissing those things at all. But one particular night, he's about 12 years old, one particular night, it was, just, it was just terrible. He disrespected Ariel. I got angry with him, disciplined him. Um, Ariel was at her wit's end, just feeling like, what is it with this, this kid? He doesn't love me. He doesn't respect me. He doesn't like me. And, and I don't understand. And I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm watching the Giants game or something. And um, I know this is Padre country, but um, I'm a Giants fan. And so I'm watching the Giants game. And all of a sudden, I realize that at least, at least an hour has gone by. And I haven't heard a peep out of anybody. And so I get up and I go to the back room and in Alex's room, there's Ariel and Alex sitting on his floor and both of them are, are crying profusely. I said, well, what's, what's wrong? And Ariel said to Alex, why don't you tell your dad what you told me? And... You have to understand, Alex is not like a real talkative kid. Um, he, he'll talk about sports all day long, but outside of that, he's not real talkative. And he looked at me, and, um, <clears throat> and he's never been a crier either. And he looked at me, and he said, I just asked mom why my birth mom didn't want me. I never even thought that he thought about that. And um, I said, well, honey, I said, I, I know that we've not explained the whole situation to you. Maybe it's time that we do do that. It's not that she didn't want you. And um, at that point... Um, I kind of give them the background and tell them a little bit. You know, your mom wasn't able to take care of you. And, and, um, and you know, in God's plan, you know, we were there to, to take care of you. And when it came possible to adopt you, it's not that we wanted to take you away from your birth mom, but she couldn't take care of you. And so in God's providence, you, you became our son. And we are so happy that, that you did. And, and he looked at me and I had a light bulb go on. Okay? And that light bulb was real simple. It was this. I said, do you not get along with your mom because you think she's not going to want you either? And he starts bawling. And he said, I figure since my birth mom didn't want me, it would be a matter of time before mom didn't want me either. There are real issues that adoptive parents deeply struggle with. They don't even understand them themselves. And being a listening ear that just 
you know, no judgment. I just, I want to, I want to hear you. I want to try to understand what you're going through as much as possible is one of the most encouraging things. I mean, there, there, there were always people, there always will be people who will, if, if you start to ex- just express any kind of, 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 of struggle at all, they're going to just dismiss it. He's a great kid. What are you talking about? We, I don't understand what you're talking about. And so what you, what you do is you either just keep your mouth shut or hopefully in God's grace you just gravitate towards the people that are going to understand or try. Number three is uh, listen to the adoptive parents, families, as they, as they share their struggles, realizing that they're actually taking a risk in sharing those struggles. It's a big risk. And in, in, in fact, one of the things that you need to be aware of if you're going to help adoptive families is you can't be shocked by the things that are said. Okay? So there's this, there's this premise out there in adoption circles that when you adopt, you love that kid just as much as you love your natural kids, and that's just the way that it is. And yet, um, on any given day, four out of five adoptive parents may tell you, that's not true. I struggle, I know I should, and I struggle, but I don't. Now, if you sit there and you go, oh, oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? You cold-hearted person, what were you ever thinking when you adopted? That's just not the right answer. You have to be willing just to listen and, and to bear it out, and, and, and don't, be, don't be shocked by, by what they say. Number four is avoid uh, parenting formulas and seek to free the parents from formula bondage. (laughs) All right? Now, I I actually feel really strongly about this. This is... um, This is one of those things that... um, let me just say, the people like us, people that believe in the sufficiency of the Bible, people who believe in the authority of the Bible, we are probably among the most prone to be give, given over to what we consider to be, quote, biblical formulas, right? Um, some of you are old enough to remember back in the 80s, the, uh, the Ezos from John MacArthur's church, Growing Kids, How? God's way. That's pretty authoritative. (laughs) What's the implication? If you don't do it this way, you're not doing it God's way, right? Some of you have been exposed maybe to the horrible, I I say this without, without any reservation, the absolutely horrible series of parenting books by Michael and Debbie Pearl. Okay? Absolutely horrific. Um, I mean, Michael Pearl says, if you can train a dog, you can train a kid. Okay? So it's just it's behaviorism. Okay? We had people in our church that just loved those books, and their kids were just like excellently behaved little Pharisees, right? But that's all you're producing, right? You're just working on... But there's, there's something about it that is appealing. So what, what can happen... By the way, Jim Neuheiser's new book, Parenting is more than a formula, you got to read it. It's, it's like tiny, little tiny book. Have you guys seen it? Little tiny, tiny book. You can read it in an, less than an hour. Absolutely fantastic. But what happens is, I mean, first of all, I hope that we're all convinced, first of all, that, that formulas uh, can very easily become uh, legalistic, right? But a formulaic approach to parenting also can in turn exasperate the child. Okay? There can be, if, if you're a parent that has wisdom, you realize that approaches in parenting is not one size fits all. 
So you have that first child who is um, wonderfully compliant, polite, marvelous of joy. All you have to do is just look at her with a slight look of disapproval. She melts, is repentant, wails, sackcloth, ashes, and you're thinking, what's so hard about this parenting thing? And then God gives you another one. And you're like, what happened? (laughs) You feel like God's mocking you. Because now... All of the things that were like so wonderful in numero uno, you're looking at number two and you're like, huh, well, that disapproving stare does not work. They just stare back, right, or whatever. And so as a wise parent, you, you, you understand one size doesn't fit all. One approach is you're, you're, you're with your different kids, you have a different approach. But here's the thing is that when you have kids that are um, that are brought into your family from a situation where they experience a loss, it goes beyond just simply being able to have a different approach. It actually is, and this is this is the next point. Encourage adoptive parents to actually be creative and wise in their parenting. Not just you got to do this a little differently, but actually sometimes you have to actually think outside of your biblically framed paradigm of parenting, and you need to think about things differently. And that's okay. Pray to God for wisdom. Pray to God for spiritual insight. Pray to God for, for, for help. And so um, there are times where discernment based on love, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and the spiritual insight that God promises to give us and the need for wisdom needs to be brought together so that we're not violating Fathers don't exasperate your children. Fathers don't provoke your children to wrath. Okay? So, and, and I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how counterintuitive this, this feels. So, in our house, there was this inviolable law of the Medes and the Persians, which was you never disrespect your parents. If you disrespect your parents, it will be met with swift justice. The justice of the Medes and the Persians, all right? And so there was this there was this sense where, boy, you know what? If 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 Zach said something that was disrespectful, it was dealt with immediately, and then Alex comes along and we're like that same rule. Same rule applies across the board. Why? Because we believe in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. It's a biblical principle. You're gonna obey it. Right? And so Alex would get corrected, confronted, and every single time, with, with, with this is not an exaggeration, every time he was confronted or corrected, he would actually get worse right before our very eyes. Alex, don't talk that way to your mother. She shouldn't talk that way to me. Oh, great. We went from five swaths to ten. Okay. This goes on for years. And um, drove me crazy. Was the source of all kinds of conflict almost daily in our home. I this inviolable principle. You don't disrespect my wife, your mother, period. If you do, consequences. Immediate consequences. Now, let me just ask, is there, is there anything in the Bible that says you better be sure and make immediate consequences? Now, respect is a non-negotiable, right? That's fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. That's a non-negotiable. We're not talking about compromising on the principle. But what I was convinced of was that my reaction was always righteous. 
And so one day we had a typical conflict. He had just turned 16. And so this is how long this went on for well, well over a decade. And so we have this conflict. Ariel says, Alex, it's your day to take out the trash. Please take out the trash. Ignores her. Hey, you don't ignore your mom. He ignores me. Goes off to his room. Alex, come back out here. Take out the trash. It's your day. Alex, I asked you nicely. Please, can you just take out the trash? Look, your mom asked you nicely. What's your problem? What's my problem? Well, you can imagine how the conversation goes from there. So he says, I'm leaving. And he grabs his car keys and he starts stomping out of the house and Ariel looks at me and she says aren't you going to stop him? (laughs) What do you want me to do? I mean, I can't go over and pick him up. I mean, I can't... I mean, like physically, I cannot, he outweighs me. At age 16, he already outweighed me by 35, 40 pounds. So I physically, I can't go. I did try once, and I just bounced off of him. He says, Dad, what's wrong? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I was just playing with you. And, uh, <laughs> and so I just, I said, let him go. And Ariel looks at me, and she says, what do you mean, let him go? You don't do that. I said, don't do what? She goes, he, he needs to be corrected. I said, honey, just please. I can't do anything. He's not gone five minutes. And her cell phone rings. Mom, this is Alex. Would you please forgive me for disobeying you and not respecting you? Honey, of course I forgive you. Is dad there? Yeah. Dad, I'm really sorry for what I did, and it was wrong. And I was disrespectful to you, too. Please forgive me. I said, I forgive you. Where are you? I'm just down the street. Okay. Are you coming home soon? Yeah, I'll be home in a few minutes. I'll take out the trash. I hung up. I said... He was abducted by an alien. (laughs) She's like, who was that kid? So he comes home, and he's completely apologetic. And um, I said, Alex, I said, let me me just ask you something. I mean, you, you called and you apologized. How come? And he says, well... Once I got outside and I thought about what I was doing, I saw it was wrong. And at that moment, I I, I say that there there are two breakthrough moments with Alex. And that was the second one. The first one was with his mom at, at age 12. This was the second one. I started to realize every time that I was insistent on immediate consequences for him behaving in a way that was unacceptable to us, all I was doing is I was, I was doing something. I don't know what it is, but I was doing something that was exasperating him. And instead of him processing what I was trying to say to him about his wrongdoing, all he was doing was getting more defensive and more angry for being corrected. And it was at that time that I thought, you know, what we need to do is I think it's okay when he is behaving in a sinful way to give him a little bit of space in order for him to see that what he's doing is wrong without me trying to force it upon him. Because when I try to force it upon him, he doesn't even think about that. He just thinks about what a jerk of a dad I am. Now, my wife is Dominican, and that's not an excuse for hot tempers or anything like that. But I tell you what, she is, she's like a drill sergeant, okay? She is a Latina drill sergeant. She's awesome. She's an awesome wife. But, and when I started to tell her, I think what we need to do is give him space. She's looking at me like, are you crazy? You know, you're going to be compromising 
our principles and convictions. I said, I don't think that that's actually how it is. Well, guess what? She didn't agree with me. And so we went and talked to a couple in our church that we deeply trust and said, here's, here's where we're coming from. This is what happened. Help us out here. Wise, loving couple. Very wise because they thought what I was doing was actually the right thing. All right. So when you're trying to help people, liberate them from the idea that there is a cookie cutter approach to parenting that they need to stick to or they're being unfaithful to God's word. Okay? So one adoptive mom wrote to me and she said, in an adoptive home, it's almost always backwards day. What works well for well-adjusted kids in a biological home tends to be the opposite of what adoptive kids with brokenness and interesting survival techniques benefit from. Okay? So think about it. As you're talking to adoptive parents and they're just at their wits' end, think about this. You know what? It's probably backwards day for them. And they don't know what to do. Uh, Paul Tripp, again, he says, Your struggles with your adopted child will not always be the result of your mistakes. Sometimes your struggles will stem from inherent differences in the hardwiring of, of your child. Those differences will require differenting, different parenting strategies from the ones you use with your natural children. And to that, I tell you what, that, that was relief to me. So same adoptive mom. She says, a person who chooses to parent a child who comes with his or her own history soon finds they must embrace a totally different style of parenting in order to do the very best for that child. And so encourage adaptability, flexibility, creativity. Of course, within a biblical framework, we're not talking about jettisoning biblical truth, but it can actually be liberating and change situations. Um, Number six in trying to help adoptive families and this is a this is a touchy one but it's important sometimes they need to be challenged lovingly to examine their own hearts and um, this is hard because they're they're in pain they're having a struggle and yet there may be things that they are so focused on that they're missing the issues they're missing the plank in their own eye And sometimes helping them means lovingly helping them see that they've got a plank in their eye. And so one lady was sitting down. She she has two adopted kids, and she was just so angry because neither one of them were doing what she wanted them to do, and and they were being rebellious, and they weren't weren't singing in the community choir this this semester, and all these just awful things. And um, she said, then she said this, I can't believe that they're treating me this way after all I've done for them. Now, let me just say that's a fairly common parental thing to say, is it not? How can you do this to me after all that I've done for you? And sometimes in adoptive situations, we feel like, you know what? We have rescued you. Show some gratitude, will you? Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. And so I said to her as, as, as lovingly as I could, um, Boy, you know what? Um, I even hate to say this, but when you say, I can't believe they're doing this to me after all I've done for them, you know, you're, you're kind of making this whole thing way, about, way more about you than about them. And they're good. And I can tell you that she wasn't overly fond of me saying that. And it took a little bit of, you know, patience. and But then she finally did see it. But sometimes stuff like that needs to happen to where the adoptive parent... Because what's happening is um, <laughs> uh, adoption, like so many other things in life, actually will, will, um, will press on the idols of our hearts. And sometimes the the context of adoption is just idle exposure 
over and over and over again. And we want to be sympathetic. We want to be sensitive. We want to be compassionate. But we also need to be faithful with adoptive families and trying to help them see how God is using their children to expose those idols so that they can deal with them. All right. Let me just touch on a few helpful reminders. And um, um, first, um, one thing you can help adoptive families remember is that what's going on is spiritual warfare, that their battle is not against flesh and blood, which means that that little guy or that little gal, that's not the source of their battle. Right, spiritual warfare. So this is this is a mission. This is ministry, and this was not about to make you feel good about yourself and to bring fulfillment into your life. Oh, we we want to fulfill ourselves and to go adopt a child. Don't, don't. If that's what you're looking for, just don't. If you want to do ministry and storm the gates of hell, then adopt. And so, sometimes, sometimes adoptive parents actually need to be reminded in the midst of their, in the midst of their pain. Let, let's face it, when we are in pain, we don't see things clearly, right? And sometimes you're told something and you just need to kind of stick it out in order to see it. And so, whether they see it now or not, you need to remind them, you know what, you're making a difference for the kingdom of God. What you're doing is, is actually a good and a godly thing. And uh, the, same, the same mom who, who has, she puts me to, to shame. She has three adopted kids and um, all from a very, very tough situation. And she says uh, to me, she says, this is a great poem from C.T. Studd. Some want to live within the sound of a church and chapel bells. I want to run a, a rescue shop within a yard of hell. She says, it's hot, it's sometimes scary, and sometimes you smell like smoke, but it's mission work. Sometimes you feel isolated as if you're getting nowhere. It's lonely, but these are feelings. When you adopt, it's possible that you just gave up your life. And it will not be the same. And it might, but it might turn out to be more beautiful. Difficult things tend to do that. Okay? Remind them of this. There is a bigger cosmic picture going on. I mean, there, there were times where the only thing that would, that would salvage my attitude towards Alex was, was simply this. Lord, where would he be right now if we hadn't adopted him? Now, he's not, he's not going to appreciate that. In fact, he probably fantasizes about where he would be if we had not adopted him. And it's an awesome place. But we know better. So sometimes it's just the reality of, you know what? God used you to rescue this little boy, ultimately, in a sense, from darkness. Um, sometimes just reminding them of perseverance. God has set a race before you. Right? You persevere. Um, <laughs> run with perseverance. You, you, you don't stop. You feel like giving up, but you can't. So when you feel like, Lord, I've asked three times for this thorn to be removed, remind them God's grace is sufficient for you. The grace that you need today to get through today to help with this little boy, this little girl, this older kid, teenager, whatever... God will give you that grace, and His grace is, is sufficient, and His power is perfected in your weakness. Right? Remind them, point them to perseverance. Why? Because sometimes, quite honestly, the goal seems like nothing more than getting this kid to adulthood. <laughs> I mean, when, when he turned 18, we are like, Woo! made it we endured and then last February he and his brother move out together which is awesome they fought like cats and dogs when they were little now they're like inseparable live together and in February I was doing a membership class at our church and my daughter shows up and she sticks her head in the door and I'm thinking, okay, something is not right because, and she goes, Dad, I need to talk to you. 
And I walk outside, and she says, Alex is in jail. And so, so much for the milestone. And he was, uh, he was arrested for a DUI. And so, Mr. and Mrs. Borgman went to the bail bondsman to bail their son out of jail. And we looked at each other. I said, I don't know. I, I didn't think that my Saturday would include going and posting bail. And she said, just because he turned 18 doesn't mean our job's over. By the way, since that time, our relationship with Alex is better than it has ever been. Ever. And I think that there's a very simple reason for it. It's the last one, the gospel. Do you think we told Alex the gospel all his life, growing up? Absolutely. Pled with him. Told your trust in Christ. Mom and dad, you're not in our family by accident. God loves you. He's given his son for sinners. Trust Christ. And here we were in a situation where he was um, not in control. And he came out that day, and I, I have a feeling he thought we were going to be so angry with him. And we weren't. We were quiet, but we weren't angry. And I watched this defensive exterior as he came out and walked towards us. I watched that defensive exterior just melt as his mom went and just hugged him and just wept. And he wept. And he came over and he had no idea what I was going to do. Um, he didn't know if I was, and I was quiet. And I just told him, I love you, and hugged him. I did yell at him a little later. Okay? But he sat there and he said, I know, Dad, I am so sorry. And now there's been a transformation in our relationship, I think, simply because what he was expecting to come didn't come. Just mom and dad love you. And they want you to know the love of God. And so we persevere, of course, and we persevere through the gospel, both to our kids, <laughs> you know, whether they're, our, they're, whether they're natural or adopted, they're valley dry bones, right? And you're praying that God gives life. But that gospel is also just as applicable to us for our failures, for the failures of the people that we minister to. I mean, the gospel really is the, the, the very crux of everything that we're going to do for people. And so we're going to glory in, in, not in excellent parenting skills, we're going to glory in the cross. So, well, I went over a few minutes. Any questions or comments, protest rights, demonstrations, outbursts, letters to the editor? Yes. Yes. Uh, it's called After They Are Yours, The Grace and Grit of Adoption. We had Alex's permission, too, by the way. It wasn't like, hey, look what dad did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I did not understand your point about spiritual warfare. Well, it's, it's, not that our, it's not that the adopted kid is demon-possessed, all right? Although at times that may come into question, all right? Um, I say that jokingly, of course. Please don't take me seriously. Um, but when, when you think about... so. That child often, and this isn't, this isn't the case for every adoption, but that child is, let's say, in a Russian orphanage, or that child is in a, a, a drug home, or that child, so they, they are actually born into a situation of absolute darkness. 
Okay, and so adoption is, in a sense, an act of rescue. So that child is is brought out of that. But we have to we have to understand that because the devil is real, the devil's not happy when Christians adopt children. Right? I mean, that's just, the, the, the devil does not want children taken out of a drug home where they're going to learn the same patterns and brought into a Christian home where they're going to be exposed to the gospel. And so that's the context of, of warfare. Okay. Good. All right. Well, thank you for your, uh, for your attention. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org. Dot O-R-G.